I'm Mark Reed Edwards, VP of Digital Marketing at HFS. Welcome to this HFS video cast of a special fireside chat between HFS CEO Phil First and Ajay Baturia, the CEO and MD of Zenzar Technologies. With more than 30 years of experience in the technology industry across US, Europe, and India, Ajay joined Zenzar in January of 2021. We'll learn more about his career in a moment. Of course, leading the discussion, as always, is Phil First, HFS CEO and Chief Analyst. Phil founded HFS, which is now entering its 12th year. Recently, the Analyst Value Survey of 1,000 Users of Analyst Research ranked HFS first in analyst independence among all analyst firms and second for its influence on buyers, most subscribed firm, and mentions by demand side. So let me hand it over to Phil to get this discussion with Ajay going. Phil, it's all yours. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Great to see you again, RJ. Uh, and it's great to get some time with you, maybe a little up close and personal, um, and hear a bit more about um, your thinking and, and, and where you're going to take a company like Zensar. But maybe we backtrack a little bit and uh, hear a bit more about you. Have you have you always been in the tech business? Is this is this what you wanted to do when you when you left college, etc., all those years ago? Yeah, you know. A bit of an accident, really, getting into this field. Uh, so I started my career. Uh, I grew up in Calcutta, in eastern India. And uh, just by chance, I found an apprenticeship with a software development house and spent the first couple of my jobs as a software developer with a couple of boutiques back home. And then in uh, 91, I joined TCS and spent the next 10 years with them, first six of which were in technology delivery. And then the last four, and technology delivery across India, Germany, Switzerland. And then the last four, I ran the Dutch business for the firm. And this was also the first time I moved out of technology into a PNL role, uh, you know, business development and PNL. Left TCS, left Europe, end of 2001, uh, came to the US and joined Cognizant and spent next 17 years with them. Uh, joined them in their financial services practice and then uh, moved back to Switzerland in 2006 as a part of the then Cognizant thrust into the European market. Uh, three years in Switzerland to incubate that business. Uh, found my successor, uh, a local leader as planned and came back to the US, back to financial services. Uh, and then until 2016, you know, over a series of different roles, ended up with a leadership position of uh, financial services for uh, cognizant in the Americas. Big uh, rotation, ended up getting responsibility, global responsibility for retail consumer goods, travel hospitality business. Uh, ran that for three years, uh, had a good run. And then uh, towards the end of 2019, uh, left cognizant, uh, joined a startup, uh, had a very short stint with them called LNT Next, promoted by the LNT Group. And then uh, you know, sometime towards end of last year, was recruited by Zensar, joined Zensar in January, and here I am. Good. So, so what gets you up in the morning these days? And you know, you're running a, a business like Zensar, but uh, you know, when you get up in the morning, what, what what's the first thing that crosses your mind? Yeah, you know, it's leading a company of ten thousand passionate, you know, noisy bunch of associates. Uh, you know, who have sub, such a lot of expectation with what they want from Zensar 
as a company, they work for uh, a great set of clients, uh, you know, who have trusted us for a long period of time, looking to transform and accelerate uh, through the pandemic. And uh, a market that is, that is in a technology super cycle. So, you know, and if I were just to break it down, you know, an internal view is how do you take this company with a solid foundation uh, to fulfill its true potential towards its next, next leg of growth? Uh, an external view is, uh, you know, clients trust us not just, just with their immediate agenda, but also in terms of, uh, you know, how we support them towards their future ambitions and plans. And then, uh, you know, most important of all is ensure that our associates find us to be the best place to work and to grow. Yeah, so what do you think of the, I mean, you've spent a lot of your career working for multi, multi-billion dollar tech businesses, obviously with, a, with an India heritage, to a, um, a smaller scale business now. What do, you, what do you feel are the key differences that you've been experiencing in terms of the culture, the attitude, the way clients engage with you? Right. So, you know, when I joined TCS, TCS was 3,000 people. And when I left them, they were a shade under 100,000 people. When I joined Cognizant, it was 5,000 people. When I left them, uh, it was a little over 275,000 people. So I had two very, very exciting rides. Uh, and also having worked with firms that were fairly small and then they grew in size and scale. So it's something that I'm not, uh, you know, it's what, what I found in Zensar is not something that is new to me. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, you know, scale of this size, you know, about 10,000 people has its advantages and disadvantages, right? Advantages because you're agile, you're nimble, you respond to market needs and customer demands are somewhat faster than if you were much bigger. Uh, of course, you know, there are advantages of having scale in terms of client spread, in terms of geographical spread, uh, which you don't if uh, you are a firm the size of ours. But the beauty that I see now in this environment, uh, where, like I mentioned, we are in a technology super cycle, is that the advantage of scale players and the, you know, in terms of size is somewhat diminished given the nature of buying behavior we see in the market. So actually this is a great place to be in right now. A firm of this size, a firm with this uh, pedigree and background and with this foundation. Okay. So we're kind of 18 months into this pandemic. Um, we've seen some real lows and some and some euphoric highs in a weird way. Um, do you think we're now in a calm before a storm? Do you think there's going to be a big what next coming up in the next few months? What do, what, what do you see unraveling in as we limp our way out of this? So, so Phil, let me start by saying the obvious, which everybody talks about, is uh, you know the pandemic has crunched what would have taken three to five years into 12 months. And that uh, that massive compression of what would have otherwise been five years of evolution into a single year, that continues. You know, and to break it down in terms of what we see with our clients and with the markets is that uh, 
you know, the new channels are driving need. You know, the new channels are creating a need to deliver ever improving quality of interaction and engagement with the customers. So what that means, if we double click is that, you know, this touchless, contactless, frictionless world, uh, you know, where there's a lot of investment in terms of driving better quality customer experience, deeper customer engagement, ensuring higher customer loyalty is not just for the front end. The, the bigger play arguably is how the clients are rewiring themselves to deliver to the promise of the front end, be it you know, rewiring their supply chains, uh, be it re-engineering their mid and back office to deliver to the promise of the front end. And this has unleashed uh, a massive amount of demand. And as they do this kind of rewiring, you know, there is need for velocity because their competition is a lot of them are digitally native firms, uh, uh, digitally native startups uh, who are working on architectures which are new and which make them super agile. So now the Fortune 2000 is having to accelerate this rewiring so that they could also compete in this super agile fashion against this, these disruptors, right? And, and therefore, in order to drive this uh, uh, agility, uh, one of the best, one of the first things you would do is to adopt the architecture driven by cloud because that inherently drives agility, that inherently drives velocity. So you see massive demand explosion in cloud native technologies. And then on the other side, you know, again, stating the obvious is using the power of data to drive uh, straight through, to drive decisions, to drive insights. So this situation where there's massive investment in cloud native architectures, there's massive investment in data, right, is, creating or has created this demand super cycle. And my personal view is this will last for at least 36 months, if not longer. Right. Um, and what do you think the impact's been on the uh, India IT industry itself when we look at pre-pandemic normality to what is happening now? Do you, do you see some sort of snapback to more centralized uh, people back in the office. I hear a lot of people are going to go back in soon, or, or do you think something different is going to happen with the Indian environment as we emerge? Right. So I think, you know, people have started coming back to office, but in very, very small numbers. I personally feel this hybrid environment is here to stay. So that's one part of, you know, what's happening with uh, you know, India and the industry in India. Uh, and in many cases, you know, it, it creates challenges. It also creates a lot of opportunities. The other dimension is uh, regarding the pattern of demand. And there, uh, it's a bit of a tale of two cities. So, you know, while clients have to drive an increasingly expensive transformation agenda, not all of this can be funded by increased budgets. So we see an extreme push more so than in the previous years to, to compress the run side of the house, right? 
and uh, to run this. So that we say continued compression in support, you know, application infra, uh, continued optimization and continued commoditization. And that is being driven largely through efficiency. So that is the, you know, in the tale of two cities, one city, which is getting compressed. And the other side is what I spoke of, which is uh, a massive mismatch uh, because of this high degree of demand and what has been a fairly inelastic supply situation. Yeah. You know, and uh, the demand's gone through the roof. Uh, but on the other side, the labor market is completely inelastic. And uh, that has resulted into a fairly volatile situation in the industry. Uh, you know, uh, for the hyper aspirational Indian labor force, it's the good old days. Uh, but then for a firm like us, you know, it's how we navigate through this mismatch in demand and supply is going to determine how well we do in the future. And the way we see it is that, uh, you know, we'll have to go back, revert back to, to how it was back in the day where a lot of effort was put in to generate organic talent. Uh, we are looking to expand across geographies from a supply chain perspective, just so that we have a bigger cashment to get talent. And also working to, uh, you know, retool, retrain, reorient our existing workforce. Uh, and towards that, uh, Phil, one of the biggest things we've done is we've taken one of the senior most leaders in the company out of her core delivery role and have appointed her as responsible for talent supply chain, right? And that is organic, lateral, and retooling, retraining. Uh, that is how important it is for us. So, so that is what I see happening in the market. The other thing I'd like to also stress upon is that uh, uh, you know, how we position ourselves to the market, uh, you know, in terms of uh, structuring ourselves, structuring our go-to market uh, is also critical uh, for us to really, really, you know, uh, surf the wave that is created due to, due to this uh, super demand super cycle. And what we have done, uh, Phil, is that uh, uh, end of first quarter of this year, we did a massive strategy refresh uh, we have reoriented ourselves and restructured ourselves uh, around five, what we call as strategic growth opportunities or strategic growth areas. Uh, those being experience services, advanced engineering, data engineering, core traditional application services, and uh, infrastructure services, which we call foundation services. And to operationalize this, we've created a list of uh, uh, very precise, crystallized set of services which we call playbooks, and there are 21 right. that we have identified. Uh, and then we are supporting this through what we call as four pillars of execution, which apart from sales, expansion, and talent transformation that I spoke of, uh, is also how we deal with partnership with our uh, you know, core partners, especially the platform players and the hyperscalers. And then how we selectively pick m and uh, as a vehicle to just leapfrog certain areas of competency where we want to, let's say, you know, uh, get faster than we would uh, uh, if we were to do it organically. Interesting. So you said you put one of your top executives on the talent supply chain. Um, this is obviously critical to what we're seeing in the industry. You, you know, you talk about 
unprecedented demand that clients don't have uh, infinite budget to keep um, spending more money on this. So obviously key is to retain talent and, and drive more automation, things like that, right? So what do you think is working to keep the best and the brightest at a company like Zensar? Is it you give them more money? Is it you give them more learning opportunity? I mean, how do you, how are you going about keeping the talent and, and, and really flourishing in this environment? Uh, so fill uh, more money, for sure. More learning opportunities, for sure. Uh, a great place to work, right? Uh, the required flexibility that the millennials are looking for. Speaking back of you know the hybrid work environment, you know start of the pandemic we had three locations: Pune, Bangalore, and Hyderabad. Now we've got associates working from home out of twenty-eight different Indian cities. Right, so that's a trend that's not going to go away, right? Uh, giving them pride to work for a firm like Zensar, right? And uh, you know, we are a part of the RPG group. The core ethos of the group is happiness, uh, and uh, and we do our bit to make sure that uh, you know, despite the industry we are in, uh, despite the speed at which we work, despite the pressure under which we work, we provide our people with, let's say, a great place to work outside of good money, good learning opportunities, good place to grow. Yeah. Interesting. So, so as, you, as you look at this model, as it continues, um, it's interesting because it feels to me like it's almost opened up opportunities for you to bring on staff because you're not so tied to three locations, you can go for more. Um, uh, do you see us as the economy shakes out a bit more, uh, you're going to get more demand for people to go back to the office, uh, especially with young talent and training and things? I mean, it's a, it's a real uncharted territory that we're, we're gravitating into, right? Yeah, yeah, Phil, for sure. Uh, so there's going to be opposing forces. There's going to be one force that is going to drive them to these three locations. There's the other force, which is, you know, look, let them work out of these you know, 25, 28 locations. Uh, there are advantages of working remote, but there are disadvantages as well, you know, in terms of coming together, in terms of driving culture of the firm, in terms of just camaraderie if you work in a cohort. Uh, and we are trying to skin this cat in many different ways, right? So one is that, uh, you know, not too distant a future, we will open up these centers again. Right now they're largely empty. So in the next four to six weeks, we will have people coming in. So those who are coming in again, you know, we'll provide them with flexibility uh, in terms of, uh, you know, number of days of the week they come to work, the population that is at work at any point in time, you know, for example, people are talking about 25%, 50% uh, ceilings, et cetera. But a couple of other things we are looking at is, uh, we are looking to expand out of these three locations by creating satellite offices in other towns. Uh, and these will be proper full-fledged Zensar offices. Uh, we are looking at two right now. So in the next quarter or so, we will announce two of these satellite offices. And we are looking at two additional satellite offices, uh, which we will set up over the course of next maybe six months in tier three towns uh, in India. Uh, the, the other thing is we are also trying to see if 
places where we will not have a center or a satellite office, how do we enable cohorts to come together and meet, right? So if I have people in Jaipur in India, where we will not have a satellite office, you know, our satellite office will probably be Delhi. And how do we create, and we've got like 50 people right now living and working in Jaipur. So how do we create? We are looking to see if we can get cohorts to get together and enable that to happen. So there are some very you know, innovative ways and mechanisms we are looking at in order to help people uh, you know, work remote and yet allow them to come in a cohort, come together in manners that are easy for them. All right, okay. So as we look at- Very long answer, uh, but you know, we, we really <laughs> have gone through this in great detail. You know, in terms of looking at opportunities and the challenges and how to, you know, make this work best, truly for our associates and for ourselves. Excellent. Yeah. So, where are you going to double? The, where do you think the future lies from a growth perspective? As you look at industries, you look at technologies. Where do you think a company like yours can really make an edge and a difference as we look out at the next couple of years? Sure. So, uh, Phil. Uh, you know, about five years back, we started on this living digital journey. A lot of the work we did around living digital was how we internally rewired ourselves, where now the firm works in an economy of apps. Basically, I can run the firm on my smart device. But on the other side, uh, there was an external view where we made a couple of uh, good investments in experience and design firms. It took us a while to get them integrated into Zensar because this was a new muscle we built. And I was fortunate that when I came in, these firms were with Zensar for the last three to four years. So the first thing is that uh, uh, with that new muscle that we built is to deliver product and experience, research, design, and strategy services to our clients, and also to use that muscle to deliver creative and content services. So that's one. Second thing is, you know, an experience or a product design exercise is not complete until you develop an MVP and then follow it through by delivering the platform. And towards that, you know, we have completely revamped the structure and we've created a new service line, which we call advanced engineering services. And what that does is on one side, it delivers that complex MVP, minimum viable product or the prototype, that is the end deliverable of a design exercise. And on the other side, it also runs our cloud native full stack practice. And closely aligned with that is our data practice because you can't deliver on the promise of advanced engineering unless you have a compelling skill and a compelling skill set and a compelling capability around data. So experience to engineering to engagement is where we put one big bet. The other big bet is on the other side of the house, which is on the support side of the house where we have a very unique framework in terms of how we go to market. Uh, that framework is again, you know, experience first. So it's experience-driven infrastructure services, and that's a framework that has uh, that we launched about three years ago, and it's held us in very good stead. Uh, good wins, solid pipeline. The city of San Diego deal that we won is actually uh, being delivered by that uh, group within the firm, and that's another place where we are putting a very substantial bet. Excellent. Well, this has been. Um most refreshing and it's great to hear more about Zensar as you take the reins and uh, and really sort of bring the company through a, 
a crazy period in our existence. And uh, it's been great to see the middle tier uh, really advancing aggressively, including yourselves. So look forward to tracking the company, meeting you more in the future and, and seeing how things evolve. So thank you for your time today, RJ. Thank you. Thank you so much, Phil. It was yeah. lovely speaking with you. Thanks, Phil and Ajay. Really enjoyed the discussion. Lots of discussion about people, which is really great to hear. We hope you all enjoyed it. To learn more about HFS, head over to hfsresearch.com where you can view most of our research without having to log in. Plus, we have a growing library of videos and podcasts just like this that you can take with you wherever you go. We'll see you on the next HFS <laughs> videocast.